there's something very special, isn't there, about having the kids lead us in worship? I don't know about you, but I just love it, and uh, it's always fun to see them. Amen. Well, it's been so good to be going through this book of Jonah with you, and I think it's been, uh, for me, very significant, and I know several of you have talked to me, too, about how it's been significant in your life, and it's been kind of piercing to look at it and see that I'm a lot more like Jonah than I thought I was as I began this study. Anybody else finding that to be true? And so as we look at that and as we consider that, uh, stepping into this fourth chapter, and I know last week when I was talking to you and I said as we were going through the third chapter, not to think about the fourth chapter yet, because I think sometimes when we do that and move ahead, even though we know the rest of the story, uh, when, we, when we jump ahead, we don't let the text play itself out. And I trust last week you were able to see that there was this amazing power that came as Jonah, on this journey of reluctant obedience, moved into Nineveh and obeyed that which God had told him to do and proclaim the message that God had for that city. And as he proclaimed the message, everyone in the city repented. Like, at least 120,000 people. So I wonder, think about it, you go to the center of the town that you live in or the city you live in. Maybe you, you head down to the main corner in Lake Geneva or Delavan or Elkhorn or Williams Bay yesterday at the, the Harvest Fest and you, you stand there in the middle and you call out in a loud voice and said, God judges sin. And God judges sin and if you're a sinner and you've never repented... You will spend eternity separated from God in hell, but if you receive Christ as your Savior, you can be forgiven. And everybody bows down. Everybody who hears you bows down. What would you do? I mean, it, really, right? I mean, imagine you said it to one person and they responded that way. What would your reaction be? Today we get a glimpse into how Jonah reacted. And I think as we get a glimpse into how Jonah reacted, and as we look at that, we're gonna maybe get a glimpse into how we'd react. Now we're, we're going to take a look at knowing what Jonah knew. We're gonna finish the book of Jonah next week, but this week I wanna just pause for a little bit on the second verse and really think about what is it that Jonah knew. The first two verses of Jonah chapter four say this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The Hebrew, it says it's exceedingly evil to Jonah. So in other words, Jonah's watching the entire city of Nineveh repent and, and God relenting from the disaster he was going to send on them, and his response was to be displeased exceedingly and to be angry with God. And he prayed to the Lord in his anger, 
We'll talk about that next week. He said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. We looked in the first chapter of when God came to Jonah and said, arise and go. There was an immediacy expected. It would be that he would immediately respond. And here, in this verse, he, he indicates he did immediately respond. He immediately and quickly made haste to leave and go the other direction. And the reason is because of what he knew about God. He said, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. This is what Jonah knew about God. And so even as I asked the kids, what is it that you know about God? If I came out and asked you, what do you know to be true about God? What would your answer be? How would you respond to that? And I think what happens here in this passage that we look at is we're able to see that, that Jonah does an amazing job of, of encapsulating who God is. And I want us to see how he was able to do that. And so he, said, he starts out by saying, God, you're, you're gracious and merciful. You are a gracious God and merciful. Now, I don't know about you, but I have trouble keeping these two things straight. Grace and mercy, they're like two sides of the same coin, and, and I, I have a problem getting them straight, but sometimes I get them mixed up, and I think, you know, maybe other people do too, but grace is getting what you do not deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. All right, grace is getting what you do not deserve. So as it relates to God, and we stop and think about God, God giving us what we do not deserve. All right, what are some of the things? You know, I mean, he gives me my heartbeat. He gives me my breath. He gives me life. I don't deserve these things. He gives them to me by his grace, the sovereign God who's constantly bestowing this grace on us. He gives me salvation. He makes it possible for me to be a right relationship with him. I don't deserve that. That's his grace stepping into our lives. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. What I do deserve is punishment. I deserve the wrath of God to be poured out on me. That's what I deserve. I've, I've earned that, Scripture tells me. But his mercy does not give me what I deserve. So his grace is extending to me things that I don't deserve, and his mercy is not giving me what I do deserve. And, and when you really start to think about that, it kind of takes your breath away, doesn't it? I mean, who are we that God should be mindful of us, Scripture says. And yet he bestows this grace and mercy. It's like God's natural inclination is to show mercy and grace wherever it's possible. It's his natural inclination to do that. This word for grace that's gracious that's found in this verse is found only 13 times in all the Old Testament in the original language. And every time it's used, it applies to God. It's this super graciousness, if you will. It's, it's this excessive giving 
That, that's the heart of God. God so loved the world that he... That's right, Troy. He gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God is this gracious, giving God. Mercy. Mercy is this, this aspect where he's just full of compassion. Sometimes this word is, is translated compassion. It's this yearning for the good of another person. It's, it's a yearning for the best for another person. And so as God looks at us in our sinful state, his, his desire is to extend mercy. It's his desire is to have us come to a place where, where we can experience that which is best for us. So his grace makes salvation possible and his mercy keeps us from experiencing the judgment that we've earned. This desire for the best for us. And so Jonah declares <coughs> that I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God. And then he says, I know that you were slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That you are slow to anger abounding in steadfast love. You stop and think about that with God. And you think of, of the times that, that he is slow to anger. And lots of you read lots of passages in Scripture, and I think you can probably come up to you, into your mind right now with several things where you've seen in Scripture where God has been slow to anger. And you've probably seen it in your own life as well. I mean, the things that I've done, the, the, the choices I've made, they earn the wrath of God. But God is slow to anger. In Second Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about this, and, and Peter's one who would understand this. He, he had made some choices where he could earn the wrath of God. But he experienced God's slowness to anger in the person of Jesus. And in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to reach repentance. And that verse talks to us about this slowness of God to anger. And the reason for that is patience, his forbearance, his long-suffering. As we look at that and we see that, we see that, that this is, is, is a part of who he is because he's longing for people to reach repentance. Remember that it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. His kindness is what draws us to repentance. He's longing for us to experience that, to walk away from the things in our lives that pull us away from him and to draw us near to himself. It doesn't say that his, his wrath doesn't come, but it says it's slow to come. And then, abounding in steadfast love, this abundant love. Again, this is this word has said, and, and, and we've talked about that, and maybe you're tiring of me talking about this word, but I trust you're not, because it's this amazing word that's so full that we can't even begin to understand it. It's, it's this word that, that there's just no way to bring it into the English language, and, and I don't know if we can ever fully understand the fullness of this word, this has said love. It's this unrelenting, 
love of God. Paul tries to describe it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He tries to put some descriptive places around it, but, but truly it can't be contained in one definition or expression because it's God expressing himself with this covenant-keeping, never-ending, never-giving-up, unrelenting love that's filled with grace and mercy and kindness and all of these things wrapped up inside of it. It's this unbelievable love of God that just pours itself out of who he is toward all that he has made. And God demonstrates that love in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a demonstration of how incredibly large this love is. And Jonah says, I know, I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in this steadfast love this has said. And that you are a God who relents from disaster, following repentance. He knew that, that God was a God who would relent from disaster, who would give forgiveness God's relenting is his consistent response. We looked at this last week. According to a changeless nature, to a change in conduct, it's a, a revelation of his compassion. His relenting is his responding to our repentance, our change in action. Jonah knew these things to be true about God. And when we, when we hear him, gracious, Merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, relenting, forgiving. It's the gospel, isn't it? It's the truth of the gospel. That by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. Flowing from that unbelievable amount of his vast love extended towards us. And a sovereign God doesn't need to do this. And yet he does. Because we are his created ones. Well, how did Jonah know this to be true? How did, how did Jonah know this truth? And, and I asked the kids, how do you know these things to be true? And, and you know, he said, because the Bible tells me, or because other people have told me, and that's what we need to look at. Eight times in scripture, including the passage we're looking at, God reveals that this is who he is. Now, I don't know about you. When God says something once, I think, okay, that's pretty important. Twice, it's like, okay, got my attention. The three times in scripture, I'm like, okay, this is really eight times. All right, I think he's trying to help us understand something. Wouldn't you agree? So let's just quickly go through these different places and see how Jonah knew. The first place that we see this is in Exodus chapter 34. And, and the first place we see this is God using it as a self-description. Okay, so, so the setting here is that Moses is headed up to the, to the mountain to get the second set of tablets written on by God. 
the law to come to him a second time because the first time when he was up getting the law, the Israelites turned away from God and created a golden calf and began to worship that calf as being the God who brought them out of Israel. And so, so Moses smashed tablets. And so now he's headed up again to get the law a second time. And in Exodus 34, verse five, It's not on the screen for you, but if you're following along in your copy of God's word, it says, the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. You get that? The Lord descended and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So who's proclaiming the name of the Lord? The Lord is. He knows who he is. And so he's going to begin to declare and says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands or thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. So here we see that the reason Jonah knew this is because God made it known about himself. God declares himself to be a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity, relenting. So God declares this to be true of himself. The next place we see it is in Numbers chapter 14. And in Numbers chapter 14, what's happening there, there it is, okay. What's happening in Numbers chapter 14 is that Now, they've come to the promised land, and God has said to them, go into the promised land. And and he told Moses, send some people in to scout it out. So they went in, scouted it out, and came back, and two of them were like, we're in. This place is amazing, and we can take it because God is with us. And the other 10 said, I'm not so sure. And so they didn't go in. And God's anger burned against them. And it burned against them so much that, that God said in verse 11 of Numbers 14, to, he says to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done to them? And he, he talks to Moses and Moses begins to intercede for the people in an amazing way, and it's such an example of leadership, of servant leadership, and and he begins to plead for his people. And as he pleads for his people, he says this in verse 17, and now, please, let let the power of the Lord be as great as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses comes and as he's interceding for these people who have sinned against God, he's coming to him and he's saying, God, you told me that you are a Lord who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He said back to God, this is who you are. That was not because God needed to be reminded. Okay, God knew that. The reason that we say this back to God is to remind ourselves. And specifically, Moses was reminding himself, I believe, in this text, that that he didn't deserve for God to forgive this nation. 
But because of who God is, forgiveness was possible. David, David is another one who three times talks about this, uh, th- th- this is who God is. In Psalm 103, it starts, and Psalm 103 is this psalm that's filled with joy. It's such a joy-filled psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. Bless his holy name. And so the psalm is a psalm that's filled with joy. And in the midst of the joy, in verse 8, he says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove his transgressions from us. Isn't that amazing? So David's crying out in joy because of who he knows God to be. In 145, he's praising God for this. In Psalm 145, it's a psalm where he's praising God. It's an amazing psalm that that talks about the love and and the amazing splendor of God. And he says in verse 8, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Are you seeing that, that... This is such an important part of who God is. In Psalm 86, and I know I'm looking at each one of these because I think this is important, and you'll see why in a few minutes. But at Psalm 86 in verse 15, David is being... He's being attacked because of his failings, and he comes to God, and he says, God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he says, turn to me and be gracious to me. See, it's that idea of once I know that God is gracious and merciful, He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. In those moments of time when I'm being attacked, those moments of times when I'm experiencing fear, those moments of times when my insecurities take over, those moments of times when I feel like a failure, those moments in time, I can turn to this God who has told me that he is a gracious and merciful God who is slow to anger, who who does not condemn because of my relationship with him through Christ Jesus. I'm not under condemnation. And so he relents from the disaster that my choices have earned me. And Jonah knew this to be true. There's two other places after Jonah where it's talked about. One is in Joel. And in Joel chapter 2, it's, it's a significant passage because Joel is talking about an impending disaster that's coming to the nation of Israel. It's, it's coming and, and it's, this, it's this judgment that's coming against Israel. Now listen, God is a God who is slow to anger, but he's a God who expresses his anger as well. Because listen, sin earns the wrath of God. It does. Sin earns the wrath of God. And, and his wrath is poured out on sin. And we see it nowhere more clearly than we do on the cross of Jesus. As, as the wrath of God against the sins of the world is poured out upon, upon Jesus. The wrath of God is poured out on sin. 
And so Joel is talking to the nation of Israel and saying to them, there is a judgment coming. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. And remember, we looked at that in, in Jonah, that it wasn't that they put on, it wasn't that they put on the garments, but that they had turned their hearts. That's what repentance is. Rend your hearts even now. Why? Because the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting over disaster. Listen, if you're a place in your life where you're choosing sin, and, and this could be maybe you've come to a saving knowledge of Christ, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, I urge you today to turn to Christ and, and say, Jesus, oh, I accept your sacrifice on the cross. Please forgive me. Find yourself to be forgiven of your sin. Exchange your life of sin for, for the life of righteousness of Jesus. Find the forgiveness that comes. But listen, if you've done that and you're choosing sin, maybe you've got an addiction that's trapping you. Maybe there's a relationship that that you're in that's not working well and you're just refusing to make it better. Maybe there's choices that you're making that are keeping you trapped in sin. Maybe there's things you're watching, things you're looking at, things you're doing that you know are displeasing to God. Listen, even now, even now, repent and turn to the Lord. And find that he is gracious and and that he is loving and that he is kind and that he will relent of the disaster that will come upon you. And part of the reason for that is he knows that these things that you're choosing will cause disaster for you. The final place we see it is in Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, the people come to confess their sin. And, and in Nehemiah chapter 9, it's interesting, uh, if, if my calculations are right, uh, today is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and, and Nehemiah chapter 9 is talking about um, the day after the Feast of Tabernacles, if my calculations are right. And what that means is the Festival of Tabernacles is this amazing and, and important time where the people of, of Israel celebrated it. It hadn't been celebrated since the time of Joshua. So they celebrated it, and they set up the booths and did all that. And then on the eighth day, they, um, they came to the Book of the Law, and, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly because that's what was ruled. And so then the next day, Okay, which tomorrow is the anniversary, of, if I've done my calculations right. Have I? Yes. Tomorrow is the anniversary of Nehemiah 9. Okay, that's kind of interesting. But anyway, so they're sitting there, and they're in mourning. And they're in sackcloth, and they're turning. And in the midst of that, these priests come up and offer prayers as they're confessing their sins. And in one of those prayers, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17b, he says, You are a God ready to forgive, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he did not forsake them. So here we see eight times in Scripture this unbelievable truth in all sorts of different situations that God is a God who's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and ready to forgive. Do you know that to be true? 
Okay, so um, today we're going to look at knowing what Jonah knew, all right? And there's eight places in the Bible. Do you, do you know? Do you know that this is true? Okay, okay now, now, I don't know about you, but it's a big deal to me that this is true. Because I am lost without this. Without this, I have no hope at all because I know who I am. And apart from a gracious and merciful God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to forgive me, I've got nothing. And so I come to him and say, God, I'm here again. Are you still gracious? Are you still merciful? Have I pushed the envelope? And he says, I forgive you. I don't know where I'd be without that. How about you? To know that to be true. I know it. But are these things that are true about God true for just me? Or are they true for everyone? And sometimes I think we personalize salvation so much that we lose sight of the fact that it's for everyone. So what is my response to this kind of God? What was Jonah's response? What is our response to this kind of a God? A God with this radical kind of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. How do I respond to that? It displeased Jonah greatly and he was angry. Therefore, Now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than live. God's response to this kind of love expressed to other people was to rather be dead. Because you see, it's easier, always. It is always easier to assume God is with us more than he is with those who don't agree with us. It is always easier to assume that God is with us than it is to assume that he's with others who may be our enemies or who maybe don't agree with us. I've really been wrestling with this this week. Oh, my word. Even as I wrote that down, I was like, I started thinking of different places where this is true in my life where I begin to assume that somehow God's more with me than he is with Karen and, and, or, or with anybody. And I've, I've, what I've discovered is that the times that I feel God is more with me is all the times that I feel I'm right. All the times I feel I'm right, I'm absolutely certain God's more with me than he is with the other person. Anybody else have that problem? And so Karen and I, you know, We'll get into these places and I'll think I'm right. 
so that if I'm not careful, I kind of think, well, maybe God's on my side. Or maybe it happens in the places where I have a conviction. And there, there's different convictions I have that I believe God has brought into my life that are true for me, that aren't necessarily true for everyone. And if, if I hold those convictions and, and believe that because I have those convictions, maybe God's more with me. So I happen to believe I, I'm, I'm convicted that I shouldn't drink any alcohol at all. And God's clearly more with me than he is with someone who drinks alcohol, right? Or you're supposed to wear a jacket to church. You know, see, we could start thinking these things. Or, or how about theology? Where we think that just because what we believe, that maybe God's more with us than he is with the other person. I have something shocking to tell you. God is not a Republican or a Democrat. Nor is he in the middle or anywhere else. He's, God is not more for one than the other. And Joshua makes this clear. I think as we look in the book of Joshua, and, and in Joshua chapter, uh, chapter 5, where he's getting ready to go against Jericho. And I love this. He, he's, he's all ready to go against uh, Jericho. Let me get to it here quickly. Joshua chapter five. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or our adversaries? The man said, neither. I'm, I'm with the army of the Most High God. I think that what happened is Jonah's response allowed him to believe, or he was believing that God was more for him than he was for the Ninevites. And see, what we've come to believe and know to be true about God is that God is gracious and merciful slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent. And that's true about God. That means it's, about, it's true about God who is in you. See, if you've come to a place where you've trusted Christ as your Savior, God is in you. He who has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, will come and make our home with him. So, so you, are, uh, you are the presence of God is in you. So if it's true about God, it's true about God in you. So then the so what? What is one way knowing these truths about God will impact your life this week in your relationships with others? But these two questions, does my heart reflect the heart of God and who or what is my Nineveh? If indeed God in me is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to forgive, how does it show in my life? And I think we've had something very significant happen in our, in, our, in our society over the last couple of weeks that gives a beautiful illustration of this. I'm sure many of you are aware of Brent Jean's testimony in the trial of Amber Geiger, who was found guilty of shooting his brother Botham.
And as Brandt took the stand and sat in the witness seat to, to declare to the court what he would like to see happen to the woman who shot and killed his brother. He sat and he looked at her in the courtroom. And he said, I want you to know that I forgive you. I forgive you. And I pray that you find God. As a matter of fact, he said, I don't even want you to go to prison. I want what's best for you. And what's best for you is to turn your heart over to Jesus. I want you to know that I love you. And some of you have watched the video, some of you have seen, this is exactly what he said. I forgive you. I don't want you to go to prison. I want what's best for you. And I love you. And he looked at the judge. And he said, I don't know if it's possible. But could I give her a hug? Please? And the judge said yes, and he walked around. And in one of the most powerful moments I've ever seen, he hugged her. And she grasped him, sobbing. And the media had no idea what to do with this moment because it's an anomaly and it should not be an anomaly because it should be the way we live our lives. God is in us. And listen, I don't deserve the grace and the mercy and the, the slowness to anger and the steadfast love and the forgiveness of God. I don't deserve that, but it's been given to me so that I can extend it to others. And as we do this, because most of the world doesn't know that God is gracious and merciful. Most of them don't know this love that he has for them. Most of them don't know they can be forgiven. Most of them don't know that God is longing to hug them. And it's what they need more than anything. So is your heart reflecting that? And who or what is your Nineveh? Who's that person? Who are those people? What's the situation in your life? God, help us with this, please. You know each one of us. You formed us and you shaped us and you know the times that we're selfish with your grace, with your mercy, with your love. Forgive us, God, for being selfish, please. Stir in our hearts a passion, a desire, a longing for your love to be seen and to be known. Help it not be an anomaly in our society, but help it to be the norm that your children are reflecting you. 
I pray this in your name. Amen. May I ask you please to stand and hear God's good word from you from, from the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Oh, God bless you. I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship. God bless.